to start this series, I need to let you know that for the next four weeks, we're going to be processing some things, some insights, and learning from the book of Jonah. Uh, if you were a part of our elements class last spring, you know that there was a point there where we assigned you to read through the book of Jonah and to do some Bible study work on that. The book of Jonah is, is amazing. It's this incredible movie-like story of epic proportions. It's a saga that deserves like an orchestra behind it playing huge music that moves us in deep ways because it's, it's a big story. It's a big story with big characters, a big fish, a big city, all kinds of stuff going on at the same time. And I love the book of Jonah because it it just kind of blows my mind from what is normal, even what seems real, and goes into supernatural. And I think that there are times, and maybe this is one of those times for you and me, where we need to be, we need to just have our concept of God blown out a little bit and enlarged. So the title I've chosen for this series is God's Size. Because we have a tendency to package God in ways that are easy for us to package. So I have ways of talking with people when I talk to them about the Lord. Whether it's one of you who comes in and I know you and I know you have a walk with the Lord. And I can just dive into talking about theological or doctrinal things or scriptural things. Or whether it's a stranger that I just encounter and somehow start up a conversation that leads us to talking about spiritual things. I, I've packaged it in ways and I have little sayings that I like to use. And, and some of you do the same thing. We have these little phrases and I've been praying and asking God recently to help me to come to a place where I just don't have words because what he is is so great, powerful, big, loving, merciful, that I can just say, well, that, that's the way it is. And to lead me to those places where other people are going, yeah, that's right. Um, I don't want God to be packaged we don't really need a packaged God. We need a God that blows out and does far more than, as Scripture tells us, than we could ask or imagine. So as we look at the book of Jonah, I want to begin with the love of God. Because I'm convinced that God loves us far more than we are able to acknowledge and admit. And that often makes it hard for us to say, okay, this is love. And so we're going to begin talking about God's highest love, but then we're going, to, we're going to go over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about God's power. Next Sunday is uh, Pentecost Sunday, so we're going to talk about God's power. Um, Pastor Stephanie was looking over some of my notes and said, well, nice timing, Pentecost and power. I go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good that way. I can, I can arrange things occasionally. We're going to talk about God's mercy uh, because I think that's another thing that we tend to minimize. So the things where we reduce God to what is manageable and understandable, I'm praying that through this series, God just opens those back up and says, no, there's way more. There's lots more. And uh, you can't even comprehend it, but you can at least walk around it a little bit. So 
as we look at the book of Jonah, I'm sure that for almost all of you here, I don't have to reiterate the story. You know, Jonah was this guy, the Lord talked to him and said, I, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to tell them that I'm really upset. I mean, the, the language that is used in the book of Jonah is rather unsettling. Tell them that I've seen their wicked ways and I'm going to destroy them. That's, that was the message. Not what you want to hear from God. Not what I want to hear. I don't want to get woken up in the middle of the night to hear God go, Hey, Hink, next Sunday I want you to tell Northwest I'm going to destroy them. Uh, man, I pray that uh, I do not hear that from the Lord. But Jonah heard that. And you know the story, Jonah ran. And he gets on this ship. Uh, and the, the first chapter, Jonah says he went in the opposite direction. Which I'm not sure how you do. I mean, you could go the opposite direction from Nineveh, but you can't go the opposite direction from God. <laughs> That's impossible. But he tried. And then, of course, you know, in, in chapter 1, the big storm, and the, you know, there's, there's what are we going to do? And they throw Jonah over the side, and God sends a big fish and swallows him. That's, that's chapter 1, the Hink version of it, the paraphrase. But we're going to look at some of these scriptures a little bit, and we're going to look at this. But what I notice in chapter 1 of Jonah is there's an awful lot of foolishness going on. People do things that I just go, what are you thinking? That does not make sense. That does not seem appropriate. That does not seem in order. That's not the way I would arrange the story. But that's what's happening. And so we see that there's all kinds of foolishness. And to begin with, we don't usually preach this way. We don't like to talk this way about God. But I look at this first and I see the foolishness of God himself. That God himself goes to Jonah and says, I'm going to do this with the people of Nineveh. I would have responded, if I'd had time to think about it and not just a knee-jerk reaction like Jonah had, I think I would have answered God and said, if you're going to destroy the people of Nineveh, just go ahead and do it. Why tell them? Why send me? Just, I'll just tell the people around here, hey, stay away from Nineveh the next few weeks. It's going to be bad. Don't go there. But God says, I want you to go. I want you to tell them the destruction I'm bringing. And that seems foolishness. I mean, you know, you're going to destroy them, just destroy them. You're making things worse now. You're telling them you're going to destroy them and then you're going to destroy them. It's like saying, you know, to your kids, um, when I get home, have you ever done that? When I get home, you're going to pay for that. Then they live in dread for the rest of the day because what's going to happen when dad or mom gets home and um, you know, am I going to get spanked? Am I going to get grounded? Am I going to get, you know, put into foster care and adopted to another family? You know, and kids blow these things out of proportions. So do all humans. But God announces, I'm going to destroy you. And that just seems foolish to me. He's tipping his hand. And then the, 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 the other thing he does is he goes, I'm going to do this, Jonah. And I want you to be a part of this. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to do... And I just go, Lord, why Jonah? Why are you choosing to use Jonah? First of all, I would go, you know, just, God, just do what you're going to do. Leave the human element out of it. But that is not the way God works in history. God always works with people. It's incredibly frustrating to me that God always needs to use people. Of course, God doesn't need anything, but that's his choice. He, I'm going to use people to do this. And, and in this instance, he goes, uh, Jonah, 
And if we had been an advisor to the Almighty, we would probably go, hey, Lord, uh, there's some other candidates. Keep going. Interview a few others, because Jonah's not the guy you want to send to Nineveh. Because we see this. As soon as God says, hey, Jonah, I'm going to do this. I want, you to, I want you to be part of this. You're going to do this. You know, Jonah fails repeatedly to appreciate the heart of God and cooperate with God. I mean... He is so uncooperative with God that by the end of the book, you're just going, Jonah, you're getting what you deserve, buddy. So there's this foolishness where God goes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tip my hand. I'm going to show it. And then this is the guy I'm going to use. And we go, there are lots of other people, Lord, that you could have used. But I'm convinced that it wasn't only God's intent to change the people of Nineveh. It was also God's intent to change Jonah. And as I read through the story, I realize that, yes, the people of Nineveh are a part of this, but Jonah is really the main character. And it's remarkable that God puts Jonah in this position because he wants him to have these experiences. He wants Jonah to go from somebody who knows about God, who hears the voice of God, to becoming a person who obeys and honors and glorifies God. And that's different. So... We pick it up here, and if you've got your Bible, you might open Jonah chapter 1, because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, jump around and point out some scriptures that you might want to check me on. But in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, right from the outset, we, we see God interacting with Jonah, and he comes and he speaks to him, and he says, get up. It's always bad news when God starts a conversation with us by saying, get up. That's what he says, get up. And go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Great news. I mean, this is, this is the way you do not want to act. I mean, if you're strategic and you're just going to destroy, you don't go, hey, go and tell them I'm coming and this is what I'm bringing with me. This is not the way the military acts. This is not shock and awe. This is just shock. Just go and tell them I'm going to destroy them. And we would go, Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. One of the things that I have come to accept in reading through the book of Jonah is God does not work according to our conventional wisdom. And for that, at some point, all of us would say amen. Because the things that we think would work, that the way they should operate, the things that seem to make sense when they fail us, requires a God who can depart from what's conventional, what's natural, what's normal, and move into what's supernatural. So there's all kinds of foolishness with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with the people in Nineveh. I want you to tell them I'm going to do this. I'm going to tip my hand to them. And, and you're the one that's going to do it, Jonah. And it makes really no sense to me at all. In fact, I would probably, if the Lord were using me again on that little advisory council, I would go, this isn't going to work. This is a terrible plan. And yet this is God. No, this is, this is why I'm going to do it. So here's Jonah's response. <laughs> But Jonah got up, so he did obey him at least in the first step, and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. That's the thing. I just don't understand. You can't go in the opposite direction of God. But Jonah's going to try. Be the first person ever to do that. 
He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, I I just got to stop here. Nowhere in this verse does it say he was running from Nineveh. He's running from God. He's running from God. The whole time he's going, yep, the Lord's told me to do something and there ain't no way I'm doing it. Our men's group met yesterday morning again, men's breakfast. We've had this theme for 2019 of uh, being rebellious. Um, and our, our little phrase that we're sharing with each other is, we are rebellious by nature. We are. And Jonah could be the president of the club. I mean, this guy is rebellious by nature. And God says, I'm going to do this. And Jonah goes, No. No, 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 no. And runs, bolts from the building, buys a ticket, gets on a jet airplane. I am not, I'm not even going to be found here. I'm running away from this. And we would look at Jonah and go, Jonah, this is so foolish. It's not just the foolishness of God to do this plan. But now, Jonah, the foolishness of Jonah, what you're doing, it's crazy. You can't do this. Years ago, I read a book by Max Lucado called On the Anvil. And the theme of the book, the imagery of the book is this. He uses this allegory where he says, God is like an anvil. And I, I like these old-time tools and mechanics. I can understand them. An anvil is just a big, huge, heavy, hard piece of iron. And Max Lucado says this. He says, when we are on the anvil of God, we have two choices. We can either be shaped by God or we can be broken by God. God is always the anvil, not us. And here's Jonah going, you know what? I'm going to show God. And and you can just kind of see that caricature of God looking down, shaking his head going, what are you doing? You can't do that. It doesn't work. It's spiritually, physically impossible. You cannot run from God. Now we say that, and I venture to say, if we had enough time to think about it and our memories were good enough, we could all remember somebody who ran from God. In fact, as I said that, some of you might have been thinking, you know, Jonah tried it. I tried it. I tried to run from God. God wanted me to do something. I said, no way. And it, it was, you know, it was like Groundhog Day. You know the movie Groundhog Day? I love that movie. And each morning the guy gets up and he's reliving the same morning because he just makes a disaster out of it. And, and there's a spiritual thing to this movie where you know Bill Murray gets up and he's a terrible guy. He's this newscaster and he's mean to everybody and his life is falling apart. And so he gets the gift of reliving that day over and over and over and over again until he does good things. And he does them right. And it's kind of like this with Jonah. You go, Jonah, okay, run. And around every corner you turn, Jonah, you're going to run into God. And it's going to be like, wait a minute. I just left this a while ago and here he is again. Wait a minute. I, I put him behind me and he's in front of me. These are the dimensions. These are the spiritual physics of trying to run from God. The harder you run, the faster you'll encounter him. I'm convinced. And in fact, for some of us, we can look in our lives where we see that when we least expect God is really when he tends to show up in the most powerful ways. 
A few weeks ago, somebody was asking me about my call to ministry. And they said, you know, how did that happen? And can you give us a story? And so I told them the story. And I was, I just finished my freshman year of college. Um, I was studying aviation up at Central. And I was unsettled. Uh, I was a little unhappy. I found out that some, a, a missionary couple that I'd grown up uh, around, Phil and Carmina Cap, were coming to speak at camp meeting in McPherson, back when we had camp meeting there. And I'd known this couple my whole life, and I loved them, and they loved me. And the one thing I can remember about these two people is they never failed to show me affection. Uh, for us that are a little older here, um, don't worry about showing kids affection. I mean, we want to be appropriate about it. But there are kids in our lives, in our church here, that need to know they're loved. And Phil and Carmina Cap were like that for me. So Phil had this big, huge, bushy beard. He looked like Abe Lincoln. He had no mustache. And uh, every time he greeted us, when we would encounter him on the mission field, he would grab me in his arms, and he would give me what he called whisker kisses. He would rub his beard on my face. Now, at first, for a little kid, you were just like, this is the weirdest thing. But over time, because I got to know him and his heart, we as kids would anticipate this. So when we were going to visit them or we were going to do some mission work together with them, we would talk about how, hey, Uncle Phil's going to give us those whisker kisses. And then there was Aunt Carmina. She's like this tall. She's really short. She was born in Alaska, grew up in Alaska, and she's just made of that hardy stock and positivity just bubbled from her, and she is incredibly creative. And several years, she would do things with us kids while uh, the missionaries were meeting and doing all their really important stuff. And she was doing crafts with us. And my sisters and I, we kept some of those crafts for years and years and years. And one of the things I remember about Carmina Cap, she helped me build a kite. And she didn't know how to build kites, so she went and found, back then we didn't have Google and the internet, and so she found an encyclopedia, and then she gathered all the stuff together, we built these kites. It was, the, it was the most amazing kite I've ever owned. And as we were working on this, she would come behind and put her arms around, you know, like some of you do with kids and 252 and, and, and help this. And, and I would just end up in her embrace. And I remember one time when she was helping me with some craft and she had her arms around me and I just leaned back and she just ended up just kind of embracing me. So they were coming to speak and, and I decided I'm going to go listen to them speak because I just, I want to see Uncle Phil and Aunt Carmina. I just want to be a missionary kid loved by them. That's it. So I went to the service and... Um, they weren't out greeting people before it started. And so when the service started, I was about halfway up. And, and, and I remember Uncle Phil was up on the platform and he saw me and he just waved. I mean, he just interrupted the whole worship service. You know, the kind of thing that an 18-year-old kid would go at first, oh my goodness, I can't believe he did. And then you just go, yeah, that's me. He's waving at me. The rest of the service was geared toward answering the call to ministry. And Uncle Phil got up and said, you know, there are some of you here that God wants to use in the kingdom. And at the end of the service, I went forward. I just wanted to go see them. 
And I went forward, and this isn't going to surprise any of you, but I went forward and I prayed, and I had no idea what God was asking in my life. In fact, I've had to, I've had to understand and come to navigate that the Lord is going to you know, take us in a circuitous route. He doesn't take the shortest route between point A and point B, does he? But I went up there to the front, and Uncle Phil came up there and knelt with me. Aunt Carmina was in the front row, and she came up and sat beside me, put her arm around me. And then, like, two of my worlds collided because these people from Africa were here in McPherson. And uh, Tom Griffith came and met me up there. He was my pastor. And it was like in that moment, everything about me was completely exposed and known. I mean... The Caps knew me as a missionary kid in Africa. They knew the times I got in trouble during mission meetings. And then Tom Griffiths was there, and he knew all about me here in the United States and what kind of a student I was at Central. And it was just like in that moment, these three people surrounded me, and they knew everything there needed to be brought out. And they counseled, and they prayed with me, and they stayed with me. I didn't expect to encounter God that day. I just wanted to see old friends. I'm sure that Jonah thought, uh, the Lord spoke, I'm getting out of here, and he'll speak to somebody else. That's not the way the Lord did it. Run, Jonah. I'm in front of you. So there's this foolishness of Jonah to try and run because you're just, you know, the faster you run, the harder you're going to run into him. And then the foolishness to try and resist. So Jonah says, I'm going to get on this boat and I'm going to go. And, and I get the idea that Jonah got confident about his plan because he gets out in the boat and he goes to sleep. And he's asleep during the storm and they go, come on, get up, you know. So this get up is a recurring theme with Jonah, by the way. And, and here he is, and he is resisting. He's foolish enough to go, I, I, I recognize that God is intervening here, and I am not complying. And I just want to tell you, for a guy who was wise enough to recognize the intervention of God, he was incredibly foolish not to go, I cannot fight God. Why didn't he just recognize it? But he resists. And, and I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit. We may come back to this. But Jonah resists to the point where they, when they say, you know, whose fault is this? And they're drawing lots. And it comes up on Jonah. And Jonah goes, I know exactly why we're in the middle of this storm. I ran from God. He wanted me to do stuff. I, and he, he, he categorizes it great. He says, I, I worship the Lord of creation. And then it says the sailors were all scared after he acknowledged that. And then he tells them, just throw me overboard. That was Jonah's idea. That was not God's idea. And it wasn't the guys on the ship. They didn't want to do it either. But Jonah goes, just, just throw me overboard. And, and here's the way I talk about this. I think that Jonah came up against God and realized, I can't fight God, I'd rather die. I cannot defy God. I'd just as soon drown in a storm than go to Nineveh for him. He is so resistant He'll destroy himself, or he thinks he will. And then there's the foolishness. I think that's just the foolishness of everyone. Um, this is another remarkable part in the story. Let me see if I've got this. The foolishness of everyone to resist God. We all try this, because God, 
does things in really uncomfortable ways. And one of the things, one of the places where I see this in the story is you've got these guys that are sailing this ship. And they, these, are, these are sailors. I mean, they know what's going on. They know what storms are about. And Jonah goes, I'm it. I'm the reason for all this. Another thing that just seems bizarre to me, I, you know, if somebody had come up to us over the last couple of weeks and said, you know, the flooding downtown and down in Oklahoma, up in Nebraska, all this flooding, it's my fault. We would have gone, no. You know, we're in this weird weather, El Nino pattern, I don't know, global warming. We'd come up with all kinds of other reasons for it. But if I'd have gone, guys, I did it. All this rain, it's me. You guys would go, man, guy's nuts. Jonah says, this storm, it's me. And these guys go, "Uh uh-oh. And then it says that they do this. After Jonah goes, it's me, they start trying to row back to shore. I love this. Oh, let us help you run from God. And, so they, and, and of course, they don't want to see him destroyed. They don't want to see Jonah drown. They don't want to see him commit suicide. And so they're going, oh, no, no, no. We're sailors. We're going to try to get you there. And they're rowing against the storm. And I can just see God going, you know, shaking his head at Jonah. And then these sailors, and he goes, what are you doing? And so they join in the resistance because it just seems incompatible with conventional wisdom. So they resist God, and then they refuse his ways. I think we all do that. You know, you read through the book of Proverbs, and over and over and over again, it says how the ways of wisdom lead us. And yet the foolish resist. And they run from wisdom and they, they participate in folly. And yet the ways of the wise are different. They resist. And then, like Jonah, everyone else, we, we run as though we can avoid God. We run as though we can avoid God. I, I've got to add this in here, but you know, we, we have this sense when we talk about evangelism, we talk about trying to reach somebody for Christ, somebody who's lost or wandering spiritually, and we talk about it as though it is entirely incumbent upon us to do that. And, and I would like to kind of rewire that a little bit in our brains. Because I've made that mistake. I've got to go talk to them so that they will come to Jesus. And the fact of the matter, with every person who's ever lived, God has been standing right before them. It was just a matter of them acknowledging him. We cannot put Christ anywhere he is not. We cannot serve Christ anywhere he's not already at work. And and I'll just tell you, from a missionary standpoint, this is an important piece, this is an important point for missionaries to understand The gospel of Jesus Christ is not arriving in a new country with you. It's already there. His presence is already there. It's already at work. And we are just walking in as the next link, as the next chapter. And that's true whether your mission field is in Africa or in the office at work or at the school where you attend. One of the things that I think, one of the places where I think we've made this error in America is we tend to give people, secularists, way too much ammo when we think and we accept the argument that they've removed prayer from school. You can't do it. 
Well, they took God out of our schools. Really? I don't think so. I'd like to see you try. He's as at work there as he is here. His presence is as powerful in a public school as it is in a cathedral. I think the way we understand God and how he's at work, if he is omnipresent, if he's everywhere, if he's omnipotent and he's capable of doing all these things, there's no law that will keep him from going where he wants to go. That is running foolishly from God. And so here's, so I think if that's true, then we as believers in Jesus Christ need to stop arguing foolish arguments and go, you can tell me I can't pray in school, but you have no idea what is going on between me and God when I'm in school. And every one of our kids that goes to school and finds that moment of panic, which happens probably weekly, maybe even daily, any one of our kids that we've said, you can call out to God, and they do, whether they do it vocally, verbally, orally, or whether it's just in the intent of their heart. Prayer is going on in school every day in every school in America. I believe that. And we need to tell our kids that wherever you go, the, the Holy Spirit of God goes with you. It goes before you. And it comes after you. We cannot run from God. We cannot avoid him. We can't sequester him off in a corner and say, that's God's little portion. That's his acre over there. That is impossible. You can't have God come into your life and say, you can have my Sundays, Lord, because he's going to invade Monday pretty quick. And Jonah figured out that even on the way to Tarshish, you're going to run into God. And those guys that were sailing with him figured out that we can't row back to shore against God. We cannot avoid him. But in this story, we see this persistence going on. Persistence against persistence. I mean, Jonah's running, and he's persistent. And he, goes, he gets up, and then after getting up, he does everything he can to avoid God. Goes, I'm going to run away from him. I'm going to get on this ship. And of course, God works this storm. And then Jonah goes, it's me. Throw me overboard. But in this persistence against persistence, I'm going I'm to reverse the order now. Let's look at the crew. The sailors of this ship are persistent in this deal. They don't want to die, and none of us can blame them. They're sailors. They know what's going on. They know this is a bad storm. And it says in verse 11, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? i got to tell you that there's, there's parts of this story that are deeply spiritual that I don't understand. These sailors that don't appear to know and understand Yahweh, the God of Jonah, appear to accept his power and his intervention in nature. None of the sailors go, you know, this is just a meteorological anomaly. None of them go, you know, it's just a storm, it'll pass. The storm gets get worse and worse and worse, and they attribute the storm to, to supernatural spiritual powers. And they turn to Jonah and they go, what can we do to deal with this storm, Jonah? And Jonah could have said, let's all kneel and pray. They don't do that. I mean, they draw lots, which is another thing that I don't understand. Uh, Sid and I have had conversations about this, you know, Christians gambling with their lives. 
But they draw lots, and here's and God seems to use it. Jonah gets a short, short straw. I'm the one. I know I'm the one. And then Jonah persists in this. He goes, you know, just throw me over the side. He doesn't go, just turn the ship to Nineveh. Why doesn't Jonah just go, I know what needs to happen. I need to go to Nineveh. He doesn't say it. He is persistent about defying God. He doesn't say, you know what, get your maps out. Nineveh's got to be on there somewhere. Get me to Nineveh. You guys will survive. Simple. Conventional wisdom. But Jonah goes, just throw me over the side because I would rather die than go to Nineveh. That's the way he tends to answer them. And he is persistent. God, I am not going to honor you. Thankfully, it's not just the crew's persistence trying to row back to shore. It's not just Jonah's persistence going, I'm not going to do this. Jonah says this, throw me into the sea in verse 12 and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Yeah, I've got more questions. How did Jonah know it was going to be calm again? How did he know that God wasn't going to go, oh, you poor sailors, wrong place, wrong time. I'm going to let this storm play out. But Jonah seems to acknowledge as well the deep spiritual significance of what's going on. And Jonah goes, I see an answer to this. If I were removed from the equation, and he persists in this, and so he says, just, you know, just destroy me. Um, Jonah has a martyr complex of the worst kind. But none of them can match the persistence of God. Can we say an amen? Because I'll tell you what, there are times when I've tried things over and over and over again and they don't work, and thankfully the, the Lord doesn't stop working. When my ways don't work, God's ways do. When what we try as a church, maybe to bring in some more people and bring people to know Jesus that don't know him and they don't seem to work that well, that doesn't mean that God's not working and God never fails. God never fails. We don't always understand what he's doing, but he does not fail. And so here is God, and the Lord is persistent, and I love this. Jonah answers them. I'm a Hebrew. He's, he's explaining Yahweh, God. To them. He's, he gets into a little bit of theology on him. I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Can you, I mean, you can see the interaction. They've been talking about this. And Jonah, I, you know, I don't know whether he was walking onto the gangplank and he goes, hey guys, take me to Tarshish. I am running from my God. And they go, well, we don't care if you want to go to Tarshish. You paid the fare, get on. And then as this starts to unfold, he goes, you know, I'm a Hebrew and my God made the land and the sea. And they're going, oh, wait a minute. This guy doesn't just worship some little piece of stone idol back in his home. And they see the storm and they're putting these things together and they go, you know, this God is not letting up. They're terrified. I, I think that there are times when we need to acknowledge that for people who first come to encounter how vast God is, it should scare them to death. 
In fact, we're talking about the love of God, and when we come to encounter how vast the love of God is, that scares some people to death. You see, for a lot of people, the last thing we want to acknowledge is that we somehow have enough worth that Almighty God himself would intervene on my behalf. There are people who would rather have themselves destroyed than acknowledge that the Lord of the universe loves them. But God is persistent and he interrupts over and over and over again in the story. And he interrupts with love. Um, On your notes, it probably said interrupted by mercy, but I'm going to talk about mercy later. And so I had to change it for the slide because I really think this is about the love of God. Pastor Stephanie was questioning me this morning. goes, the love of God in the first chapter of Jonah? It's this cataclysmic stuff, you know. And I acknowledge that. But God is doing something because he cares about people. He cares about the people of Nineveh. He cares about Jonah. And so he's at work. So we see this. But the Lord, in verse 4, we go back to this. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. I want to stop there for a moment. Because there are times when we encounter the love of God, and it doesn't feel very gentle. It doesn't feel very gracious to us. We encounter the love of God, and the love of God is, is strong and powerful and mighty. And sometimes when we encounter that love, we go, wait, wait, wait a minute. I wanted something soft and cuddly. And, it, and so I'm going to go back to this. It feels like whisker kisses. Until we get familiar with this and where it comes from, it just does not feel comfortable. Until we get to know the love of God works this way and comes from his heart, there are times when we just go, that does not feel like love. In the New Testament, we read that those whom the Lord loves, he corrects. That does not feel like love. I know. Some of you know. When you come up against God and he goes, oh, don't, don't do that. It doesn't feel, oh, that feels so good. No. Correction is humbling. Correction can be painful. It requires changes of us. But that's what the love of God does. He corrects. His friends are interrupted by love. (laughs) They get saved. He says in verses 12 and 13, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. And then in verse 13, instead the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. So here these sailors are, they're trying to be loving to Jonah. Let us get you back to dry land and then you can deal with this storm where you're not going to drown at least. But God says, no, 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 no. I have Nineveh to worry about. I have Jonah to work with. And so they're rowing and God goes, no, no, no. My love is at work here. But then, of course, you know, God is at work in all this. In verse 17, after they throw Jonah over the side and he makes this suicide attempt. Now, the Lord had arranged. I just want to stop there. The Lord had arranged. In all the chaos of this, in all the haphazardness of this story of Jonah going, I'm just going to run, and he gets on a ship, and the ship is thrown around in the chaos of a storm. 
God is working a plan. The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. I'm just going to stop here again for a moment. Again, this is not conventional wisdom. Okay, this is like anything but. Because if it were me and I knew that this was all my fault and I just wanted to die rather than correct. And I said, okay, throw me over the side. And the Lord says, you know, I, I can't let you go. I have a plan for you. I would like to think that God's plan would work something like there was a carnival cruise line ship. That would be awesome. And Jonah would go, I don't know why I didn't just let you love me, Lord. But no, it's a great fish. And um, I mean, this is the extent of it. A great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. I've seen the inside of a fish. Not pleasant. So I was listening to the radio this week. And uh, on NPR, they had this story about gray whales that are dying on the West Coast. And um, some of you might have heard about this, and they're just washing up on the beach. And there's a woman in Alaska who's hired by the U.S. government to dissect these whales to try and figure out why they're dying. And I was listening to this story, and I've been fishing before, and I just sat there and I thought, thank you, Lord, for my career decisions that it isn't my job to cut apart dead whales. And they're interviewing her while she's doing this. So they're, you know, they're talking to her and they go, okay, how are you going to do this? Well, I'm just going to cut this whale open. And then she says this. I love this. She goes, what I'm hoping is since the whale's been dead for a couple of weeks, I'm hoping its, it, its organs are still intact. Anybody getting hungry for lunch? And she goes on to say, usually when a gray whale has been drifting for a couple of weeks before they are beached, all of their internal organs have liquefied. And I'm driving down, I almost drove off the road. Because I'm, I'm picturing, I'm, I'm smelling this. And then she comes up and she goes, oh good, there's a kidney. That's the recording on the radio. And I go, ah, oh, great, there's a kidney. And then I thought of Jonah because I was reading this and I was thinking about preaching this and and I thought, you know, I bet Jonah's in the water going, let me just, you know, take one last big breath and wham, this big fish swallows him and he wakes up and he looks around and he goes, where in the world am I? It's dark and it's smelly and it's unpleasant. And this is what the love of God looks like. This is what a persistent God who wants the best for me looks like. Really? Okay, so now you've got to come back next week because in that fish, things change. But here's, here's my word for you. You know, when we read, okay, great story, pastor, so what? I just wonder then, do a little bit of, of self-examination here. How is God interrupting your life right now with his love? I hate to say this, but I'm guessing that for some of us, it's not the carnival cruise line. I'm guessing that for some of us, it's more like a storm or a big fish. That, that if, if we're resisting God, if we're struggling with God, it is probably more like a storm or a fish. And it's probably something where we're going, this does not feel like love. This doesn't feel cuddly and nice. And yet, if God is persistent with us, it's because he loves us. 
If you ever doubt that, I want to leave you with one other passage of Scripture. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. And this is love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovable, he purchased us. When we were disgusting, rebellious, odorous, he reached out to us. We celebrated that this morning. And so my friends, let's begin to respond to God's love by lowering our resistance, even though it just doesn't seem like it's working the way it should.